Amen. We do serve a great God, and uh, we need to be mindful and keep our eyes focused firmly on Him. Uh, if you've got your Bibles this morning, turn to Exodus chapter 33 and also Deuteronomy chapter number 34. Exodus chapter 33 and then also Deuteronomy chapter number 34. And so we're going to read these few verses in Deuteronomy 34 and pray, and then we'll come back to Exodus chapter 33. Uh, and so I hope this morning as we uh, look here at primarily two men, Joshua and Moses, uh, that we can glean some things this morning that will help us uh, in our desire to serve and their preparation to serve the Lord. But Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verse 9 to conclusion of this book of Moses, it says, And Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands upon him, and the children of Israel hearkened unto him, and did as the Lord commanded Moses. And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. And all the signs and the wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh, and to all his servants, and to all his land, and in all that mighty hand, and in all the great terror which Moses showed in the sight of all Israel. So we look at this this morning, I want to speak on this thought. Greatness is the preparation. And let's pray together. Father, thank you again for our time. Lord, I pray that you would bless it, that you would challenge and speak to our hearts. Lord, may you be honored and glorified by all this done here today. In Jesus' name, and amen. So when we look here this morning and consider this, I uh, realize that one of the things that we view and value is, especially young people, a desire when you launch out into life is, I want to be somebody that's great. I want to do something that's great. Um, when, you, when you look at Israel, you can look at the men that they considered great, Moses being chief among them. Whenever, years ago, whenever Sonia and I lived in Arkansas, we took a trip up uh, to Eureka Springs and went to a place there where they have a big outdoor passion play. They also had like a little replica or they were building a place of, of uh, uh, replica of, of Jerusalem. And then there was a place where they had somebody that was a potter and he would talk as he made a vessel. Um, and so it was all very interesting. One of the most interesting things there to me was the, the replica of the tabernacle. Uh, and so whenever we went into that replica of the tabernacle, there was a man who was there. He was dressed in an ephod. He was there representing uh, one of the priests that would have worked in the tabernacle. And, and he gave a little, a little kind of introductory uh, explanation and talk to the group about how things were there. And then uh, you could go back around and talk to him later, which I did. And, uh, and you know, he, he pointed out, and I, the, the Bible doesn't record this for us, this is just simply something that's passed down from Jew to Jew by tradition, but when you enter into the holy place, at the tabernacle and the temple, there were five pillars. Those five pillars by Jewish tradition are said to represent the five great men of Israel. And so the five great men of Israel, um, and I'm, I believe that I have all five of them correct. I know that I have the first and the last and the middle correct. But those five, the, those five men being Adam, and then and this, I may be wrong on the, the second and the third. Enoch, Moses, Elijah, and Messiah. And so without a doubt, Adam, the first man, 
and then Enoch because he did not see death but was translated. Moses, the lawgiver. Elijah, again, did not see death, was translated, and then Messiah. And so it was something that they emphasized. And clearly, if you read the Bible, you have to come to the understanding that Israel viewed Moses as a great man. Uh, even Jesus spoke of Elijah. Uh, you see at different times their look at these men being described as great. When I was a young man in Bible college, there was a great emphasis in those days about uh, going out and doing some great thing for God or going out and building a great work for God, which of course is biblically a misnomer. We don't build anything. It's Jesus that builds the church. And so I believe that the, 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 the intent was pure, but the actual way that things were worded and emphasized uh, were a distortion of what the Christian life really should be and ministry should be about. And I say that meaning this, that greatness is something that we talk about a lot in culture and society. You see it in the sporting world. You, you heard it if you paid attention to the Olympics a few weeks ago or a couple of weeks ago. There's all this debate about who's the greatest of all time at this. Who's the greatest of all time? The football season's about to begin. And so there's the Hall of Fame enshrinement was just, uh, was just a, a week or two ago. And you, you hear that talk is always bantered up. Who's the GOAT? Uh, it's interesting to me that when you talk about greatness, that the acronym for that just happens to coincide with the universal symbol for Satan. Because when you talk about greatness, you're talking about self-elevation. So when it was instilled in me, young, go out and build some great thing for God. Go out and be a great man of God. Go out and be a great this, that, or the other. That's never our responsibility. We, we cannot accurately evaluate whether or not we're great. We can be great in the eyes of man, but greatness in the eyes of man is just mirrors and dust. It's just an illusion. What matters is where do we stand in the eyes of God? And God does not evaluate based upon the statistics in the margins of the bulletin. God evaluates by our heart and preparation. Amen. I believe that when we get to heaven and we stand at judgment, we're going to find out that there were a lot of people that were quite insignificant on the earth that were great in the eyes of God. And a lot of people that were deemed great on the earth that were quite insignificant in the eyes of God. They've already enjoyed their glory. They've already enjoyed their moment in the sun. Greatness is for a Christian an illegitimate goal. As a, as a Christian, if my goal is to be great, that's an illegitimate goal. We say, but pastor, why is it wrong to want to be a great Christian? It's, it's not wrong to want to be a great Christian. It's wrong to think in terms of if I do this, 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 and this, then I am great. The, the problem is focus. It's a matter of trying to elevate self. It's a matter of trying to bring uh, a measure of celebrity to self or 
a measure of empowerment to self. And a Christian who is doing what God's commanded them to do, a pastor whose ministry God is blessing in an unnatural or supernatural and beyond normal way, even from what he does in a normal church environment, it's not wrong and it doesn't mean that that person is out trying to build the name for themselves. At times, God touches someone and rises them up to be a leader, to expand their influence, to communicate, to inspire, to train. I believe you see that in men throughout history. Uh, like D.L. Moody and Charles Spurgeon and, uh, and you could go on and on with a whole list of names and I could throw a lot of names out there and, and half of you would be saying, well, that guy, that's a bad name, that's a bad name and then we well, left this name out. That's not my point this morning. My point is simply this, that if my goal is to be great, then my goal is to elevate me and not Jesus. And so I, I want to, do, do we want to be great Christians in the eyes of God? I think we should want to do that. I don't think it really should matter as too much what other people think about our level of greatness. And so our, our greatness is be derived by God's opinion of us. If my ambition is to be great, I seek self-glory. True greatness is God living through man. Not man putting on a cloak of religion and proclaiming a name. Just because someone is a gifted orator doesn't make them a godly man. Just because someone knows how to uh, do great things and is gifted at, uh, at organization or things of that nature doesn't necessarily make them a great Christian. Only God can properly measure the value of human contribution to history and to eternity. We can look and we can say, well, I think that I... God used me to touch this person or that person or these lives or those lives. And I've heard it attributed, you know, that person uh, was responsible for bringing one million people to Christ or this many people to Christ. Or, uh, and that glory is heaped upon, not intentionally, but in, intending in many, most cases, I believe, to honor and glorify God. And, uh, and certainly it's not wrong to give honor to whom honor is due. The Bible tells us to do that. I'm just saying this morning that if my motive out of the gate is to build a great empire or a great church or to become a great speaker or to be a person of great influence, then my focus is on self and not the Savior. And as a Christian, I look and say that you know, when you look at an athlete, when you look at uh, people that achieve great things and military leaders, you, you truly have to look back and say that their greatness in the eyes of man was found in the preparation. They, they, listen, the armies don't win battles on the battlefield. They win them before the battle ever begins. Sports teams don't win championships on the game day. They won them in training camp. It's the daily habits, it's the daily commitment, it's the daily devotion that lifts one to greatness. We live today in a day where everyone measures your worth by your success in the eyes of man. And if a Christian were to live that way, how could we ever live a life uh, where we felt like we were anything other than abject failures for the cause of Christ uh, in comparison to what other people achieve for the cause of Christ. 
We're not supposed to look at one another and compare ourselves among ourselves. As a matter of fact, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote that those that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. We are not to compare ourselves among one another or among other human beings, but against the backdrop of Christendom and the Scripture and the God and the Christ of that Scripture. We live in a day where we are expected to be successful and to be so overnight. True success, long-term greatness, has no quick or easy solution. It requires commitment. It requires investment. Victory can only be won in the preparation. And the one who spends hours in preparation is almost always going to be the one who achieves. Abraham Lincoln <clears throat> said it this way. I do the very best I know how. The very best I can. And I mean to keep doing so. I think that's a good attitude for a Christian to have. It's not a matter of, what I, of whether I raise my, or whether God uh, grants us a measure of notoriety amongst men. It's did I, in the sight of God, did I give God my very best? Did I do things the very best that I know how to do them? And is my intention to keep doing so? Abraham Lincoln in 1831 failed in business. In 1832 he ran for legislature in, in the state and lost. In 1833 he failed in business again. In 1834 he was actually elected to the legislature. But in 1835 his sweetheart died. In 1836 he had a nervous breakdown. In 1838, he ran for speaker and lost. In 1840, he ran for the office of elector and lost. In 1843, he ran for Congress and lost. But in 1846, he was elected to Congress. In 1848, after one term, he was defeated. In 1855, he ran for Senate and was defeated. In 1856, he ran for the office of vice president and was defeated. And in 1858, he ran for the Senate again and lost. But in 1860, he was elected the 16th president of the United States. He did the best that he knew how, the very, to the very best of his ability, and he just kept doing it. Amen. Now you can look at him and say he was a good or bad president, I think that history has judged him to be one of our very best, one of the greatest, at least real history. But in 29 years, he was defeated eight times for public office, failed twice in business, buried his sweetheart, had a nervous breakdown, but won three elections. He just stuck with it. And what I'm saying this morning, and really the point of the message is, is that my focus should just be, be on knowing God and doing the very best that I can with God and allowing God to do in and through me what God deems fit. And if I can manage to live my life having done that, regardless of the size of the church that I pastor, the size of the Sunday school class that you teach, 
the, uh, the influence that you have uh, amongst the community around you, that when you get before, stand before God in judgment, I believe he'll look at you and, and deem you a great person, a great Christian. Every Christian can be a great Christian. But no Christian can be a great Christian if being, a great, if being great is our goal. Our goal must be to turn our heart toward God. Moses did not set out to become some, to become some great person. In Exodus chapter 33, uh, he is already uh, on his way to greatness. He's been chosen by God. He's went and investigated the burning bush. He's invested time with the Lord. He's argued at times with the Lord. And sometimes he stood between God and the, uh, and the children of Israel, preventing their destruction from God. And at times uh, he's, uh, he's argued and, and he stood before Pharaoh and he's gone through all of these things. And then in chapter number 33, we see in the first verses here, the first 17 verses, he says, And the Lord said unto Moses, now they're, they're out, they've crossed the Red Sea, they are, uh, they are at times arguing, God is angry, Moses is standing in between God and they. Uh, and so, and, and he says there in, in chapter 32, For Moses said, Consecrate yourselves today, for even every man upon, upon his son and upon his brother, that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, Ye have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up unto the Lord, peradventure I shall make an atonement for your sin. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now... If thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not blot me, I pray thee, out of the book which thou hast written. Moses is caring for his people. In verse 33, and the Lord said unto Moses, or chapter 33 rather, in verse 1, and the Lord said unto Moses, Depart and go up hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it. And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, and the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. For I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. And when the people heard these evil tidings, they mourned, and no man did put on him his ornaments. For the Lord said unto Moses, Say unto the children of Israel, Ye are a stiff-necked people. I will come up into the midst of thee in a moment and consume thee. Therefore now put off thine ornaments from thee that I may know what to do unto thee. And the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by, Mount, by the Mount Horeb. And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. Now before the tabernacle was in the middle of the camp. And you had the tabernacle with the opening, the curtain the, to, to go in and to enter. You had the three segments of the Levites that were encamped on, on each side the, besides the gate. And then you had uh, three, three tribes on each side surrounding the tabernacle. God was in the midst of his people. But because of their sin, now God is removing himself to the outside of the camp. 
And Moses took the tabernacle and pinched it without the camp. In verse 7. Verse 8. And it came to pass when Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle that the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaking, speaketh unto his friend. What an, what an incredible verse. That God talked to Moses face to face as a man talking unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp. But his servant Joshua the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. Now, two things of note here in this verse that are, that are relevant to the message this morning. Number one, God spoke to Moses face to face. Number two, Joshua would not leave the tabernacle. If you remember earlier, when, God, when Moses went up into the mount for 40 days and 40 nights, Joshua was at the base of the mountain. He wasn't in the camp. Whenever the spies were sent out, Joshua and Caleb were the only two that gave a good report. Joshua is always right there serving, right there separated, right there gleaning everything that he can, not even understanding at this point, I don't believe that he was going to be Israel's next leader. And Moses said in verse 12 unto the Lord, See thou sayest unto me, bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know to whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me not thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have not have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? How do you know that, that there's greatness? How do you know that God is moving? How do you know that God is working? That it's of God and not of man because God is present. Mm -hmm. Moses said, I don't need anybody's attention on me. We don't need any notoriety except that you're with us. And so we separated, and I and thy people from all people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. <clears throat> when we look at this this morning, and the message that I'm trying to communicate is this, that every Christian should be in the eyes of God, a great Christian. That every Christian should desire to be in the eyes of God, a great Christian. The problem is, is that most of the time we're more focused on, are we great in the eyes of men? Am I a great pastor? Am I a great speaker? Am I a great Sunday school teacher? Am I a great bus worker? Am I a great uh, this, that, or the other? We want to feel personally that we have some measure of success and some greatness and what that speaks to, though I believe in most cases it's not our intent, is that we're elevating and lifting up ourselves rather than elevating and lifting up the Lord Jesus Christ. 
our focus must be not on what God is doing in and through us, but am I doing what God gave me to do? Am I, if I, if, listen, if God chooses for you to be Jeremiah instead of John the Baptist, you've succeeded. If, if you've been, you're great in the eyes of God. If God looks at us and says, you just be faithful to do what I've told you to do. Now, listen, I understand that there are people that would, will take that, that mindset and that ideology and that will be their excuse to not do anything. Just like others that are extremely talented and can build a big crowd uh, have, have claimed glory that belongs to God because of their ability to establish a big empire. Somewhere in the middle of those two ditches is where Christians ought to be. And we look and we understand this morning that what God wants for you is to walk closely to him. What God wants from me is to know me. What God desires is to be able to stand with us and speak to us face to face as a man speaks with his friend. There is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Amen. Jesus wants to be your friend and your savior. Jesus is God. There's no removing that. But a, but a Christian that walks with him can enjoy a friendship and a camaraderie and a love for him uh, that, that uh, most people will never understand. So how do we do that? How do we get there? How do I achieve or attain that kind of a relationship with the Savior that transcends the ideas and the thoughts and the measuring system of mankind? And the answer is this. It's in preparation. It's just simply being prepared so that when God calls, we're ready to do what he gives us to do. First Samuel chapter number 7 and verse number 3, the Bible says there, And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. How do we get delivered from our sin? Delivered from those that would oppress? Return to the Lord. There are four things here that we look at in the prepar or three primarily in the message, but the first is the preparation of the heart. Our hearts must be prepared. Listen, the first and foremost, my focus this morning on myself should be is my heart prepared to worship God? Tomorrow, is my heart prepared to worship and then serve the Lord? Is my heart in tune with what God has for me? In Exodus chapter number 3, Moses is tending to the flocks of his father-in-law and he sees a bush burning and he cannot let it pass. He has to go and to investigate it. He, he, he just simply cannot see this sight and, and ignore it. The bush is burning and it's not burnt. And when the, law, when the Lord uh, saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him. Then it's in verse number 4 of chapter 3 of Exodus. Isn't it amazing that God did not call out to him until he took notice of the fact that God was there? When he stopped and said, hey, something unusual is going on. This is a miracle. This must be God. He stopped and took notice. And he didn't go and say, hey, uh, I wonder if I can burn and not be consumed. 
He went and said, I want to look and see what this great sight is. I want to see what this thing that's happening is. And when, he, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush. I mean, it wasn't miraculous enough that the bush was burning and not being consumed. Now it's talking to him. And so as God speaks to him from the bush, he says, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Harold, dare we come before a holy God when we're seeking him out and we, we're not willing to humble ourselves and realize that to come before God in his holiness, we must be brought to a place of submission and surrender that we do not defile the holiness of God. God looked at Moses and he said, Hey, Moses, you stop to see Come on up here. Oh, wait, stop right there. Take your shoes off. Take that which is common off. Take that which is ordinary off. Take that which is regular off. This is holy ground when you come before me. Amen. And he said, draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet for the place whereon thou standest holy ground. And then you know the story how that God tells him what he's going to do with him. And Moses then the argument that ensues and, uh, and, and all that's going on. And ultimately God gives him Aaron and God reunites them. And they go and they lead the people out. And then Exodus chapter 24 uh, and verse number 13. We see and, and now they're out and Moses rose up and his minister Joshua. There's Joshua again. And Moses went up into the mount of God and he said unto the elders, tarry ye here for us until we come again unto you. And behold, Aaron and her were with you. And if any man have any matters to do, let him come unto them. And so they go. And God shows himself to Moses. In chapter 32 and verse number 17 of Exodus. We come and see and when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted he said unto Moses there is a noise of war in the camp. Joshua knew and understood that what was going on wasn't right. His heart was in tune with God. His heart was focused on God. Joshua's heart kept him in the tabernacle. Joshua's heart kept him at the foot of the mountain when Moses went up. And I would say this morning when we talk about the preparation of the heart, that it's fourfold. Number one, that a heart must be prepared to serve God. He said it in 1 Samuel 7, 3, our hearts must be prepared to serve God. Is my heart this morning prepared to serve God? I can't just show up and serve God and be successful. Yeah. I can't just, you know, live like the world all week, walk into the church house on Sunday morning, sing four hymns, listen to a couple of announcements and a prayer, and then read a text and hear it expounded, and then think, man, I'm ready to go out and conquer the world for God. I'm ready to go out and God really work through my life and use me. I'm ready to go out and to, to have God make an impact out of my life. No, a heart must be prepared to serve God. The second thing that I would say is that preparing the heart requires commitment. Moses was willing to make a commitment. He, he went to the burning bush, but when he left, he was committed to what God told him to do. When he went up and he prayed for the people when he received the law, he was committed. When he came down and he had to deal with their sin and he went back again, he was committed. 
He was willing to fast and pray. He was willing to expose himself to the danger of putting himself before Pharaoh. He was willing to stand up to the stiff-necked people that rebelled at every turn uh, and to love them and to lead them and to plead for them and to intercede for them. I'm saying this morning that his heart was committed but to serve the God that he loved. Listen, you, we cannot please God if our heart's not committed. We cannot be used of God if we're not willing to serve. Are we prepared spiritually, emotionally, mentally in our hearts to serve the Lord and to be committed to God? Preparation of the heart requires confession. It requires me to allow God to look into my heart and to say and to expose my sin so that I might confess that sin. David said, search me and see if there be any wicked way in me. You can rest assured that at the time that he prayed that prayer, he had already confessed all the sin that he was aware of. I mean, that's a good habit for Christians to be in. Confess the sin that you're aware of, but be in tune with the Spirit of God enough to understand that there's some sin that I'm committing that I'm not even aware is offending God. And David was at a place in his life where he said, I've confessed what I know is sinful in my life. I'm trying to forsake it, God. Now search me and show me if there's anything in me that's wicked. Why? Because he wanted to deal with it. He wanted God to give him freedom from it. He was committed to walking with God, to serving the Lord. He was preparing his heart, and preparing his heart required confession. I would say fourthly here that preparing the heart requires confidence. Not confidence in self. Not confidence in one's own ability. But confidence in the Lord. In Proverbs chapter number 3 in uh, verse number 26, the Bible speaks to that whenever he says here in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 26. Went too far. For the Lord shall be thy confidence. He shall keep thy foot from being taken. And what we see here is he's saying to them that preparation of the heart requires confidence that God will do what he said he's going to do. How can I go out and face the world, Pastor? How can I go out uh, and, and, and communicate in a way that anyone would listen? You can't, but he can through you. Be confident that he'll do what he said he would do. Be confident that if you will be uh, prepared to serve him, if you'll be committed to him, if you will be confessing your sin and separating from it, then you can have confidence that God will use your life because that's what God left you here to do now I can go out and do it on my own but that's not God's plan we can go out and build a name for ourselves but that's not God's plan we can go out and get the glory of man but that's not God's plan God's plan is for me to prepare and if I'll prepare, then God can do great things through me in which Jesus is glorified. And when we stand before God in heaven, we'll get the reward that he deems fit for us. I don't think we'll be disappointed. Now, I haven't been there yet, but I can't imagine that, that when God gives us our rewards, unless we serve self and we got wood, hay, and stubble, that'll be pretty disappointing. It'll look good until it's tried by fire. But if that gold, silver, and precious stones purified, it's going to come out looking pretty good. I don't, I don't think we'll be too disappointed. I'm saying this morning that if you want 
for God to look at your life and say, that is my child and they have done great, they have achieved a level of greatness to me, their father, then it starts with the preparation of the heart. Secondly, I would say that, it's, that it continues with the preparation of the mind. That we must also have a mind prepared. Listen, it takes a lot of focus and determination to stay focused and to not get sidetracked. It's easy to get off course. It's easy to get off task. <coughs> Isaiah chapter number 26 uh, in verse number 3, uh, he says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee, because he trusteth in thee. You want your mind to be at peace? Then trust in the Lord. Amen. Keep your mind on God. Stay focused on him. Jo Joshua's mind kept him in the tabernacle. Joshua's mind kept him on the mountainside. Joshua's mind kept him in contact constantly with Moses, who was in contact constantly with God. And he was there, not realizing that he would be the next leader. I don't even see any indication in Scripture that he was laboring, that he was lobbying for the job. He was just there to serve. He was just there with a prepared heart. He was just there to be a servant. And I would say this morning that the preparation of the mind is a focusing of the, of the mind on the things of God. Am I more consumed <coughs> with the things of man and the things of this world than I am with the things of God? We have to think about some of the things of this world. I mean, about two-thirds of you are thinking about lunch right now. You're thinking about when we have to eat. It's not a bad thing to think about. Uh, and some, some of you are thinking about uh, what you got to do at work tomorrow. We have to think about things of this world. I'm not saying that we just act as if we're not on the earth uh, and are, that, that we don't have any role to play in it. That, that's not the point this morning. The point is this, that I should be first and foremost focused on how I'm going to serve God and be used by God and glorify God when I go to work, when I do what I have to do, when I interact with the world around me, my mind is on the Lord and the things of God, not on the things of this earth. It is a focusing of the mind on the things of God. Secondly, I would say that it's a focusing of my mind, uh, or a, a fusing, rather, of my mind with the mind of Christ. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. I don't know of a better illustration than old married people. And you take people that have been married 50 years plus, they don't even have to wonder where, where their spouse is. All they have to do is look at the watch and they know. <laughs> they don't have to wonder what they're thinking. They're finishing each other's sentences. He don't even have to ask anymore what's for dinner because if it's Monday, this is the menu. <laughs> and when you go through life with someone, you just naturally become like them and think like them and behave like them and process information like them. Your minds become one. Is your mind one with Christ this morning? Is my mind fused with his? The preparation of the heart and the preparation of the mind are essential 
to living a life that God can look at and say, I can use your life. And my friends, if God can use your life, when you come into his presence, he will deem you to have been a great servant. How do you know, Pastor? Because the great goal of every Christian should be to hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That is greatness. Greatness is in a name and a marquee. It's a father in heaven who's pleased with his child. The preparation of the mind. Thirdly, and lastly, I would say it's preparation for ministry. What you see in Joshua is that everything that he was experiencing and all of his commitment and all of his service and all of his uh, following and all of his separating, all of his sacrifice prepared him for what God had brought, had predicted, had proclaimed, predained for him, preordained for him. God didn't come to Joshua when he was still a slave in Egypt and say, if you'll do this, this, and this, then you'll be the next leader after Moses is gone. And Moses, his ministry ended prematurely. God cut his ministry short because of his sin. Who knows how much longer God would have allowed Moses to lead had he not smote the rock when he was supposed to talk to it. We don't know those things. My point is this. When Moses put God in a position where God had to say, because of your sin, you're not going to cross the Jordan. I'm going to take you up on the mountain and I'm going to let you see it. But you can't cross. God needed someone to fill Moses' shoes. He didn't go down into the camp and start taking interviews. He didn't call ZipRecruiter. He didn't look out and say, hey, would you like the job? Who feels that you're up to the task? He looked and he saw the man that sat at the base of the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights twice while Moses ascended and got the law. He looked for the man that stayed in the tabernacle and watched him commune with Moses while the people stood in their door and had the attitude and at one point said, don't let God talk to us, Moses. Let him talk to you. He's too terrible and too frightful for us to talk to. You let him talk to you and you tell us what he said and we'll do it. Where was Joshua? Right there with Moses. Right there in the tabernacle. And I'm saying this morning... That if I would have and live a life that God can use for his eternal glory. If I would live a life and have a life that would cause God to choose me to serve him. Then how is that possible? And Joshua in Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verse 9. The son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom for Moses has laid his hands upon him and the children of Israel hearkened unto him and did as the, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And the Mosaic law, the Levitical law, laying on of hands was a big thing. 
Because the laying on of hands, whenever they would go and, uh, and make the sacrifice for atonement, they would lay their hands on the head of the animal. It symbolized the transference of their sin to the animal so that when the animal was slain, it was received in as an atonement for their sin. In this case, it's the opposite. Moses laid his hands on Joshua and ordaining him and preparing him, symbolic of the transference of God's power and God's choice of him from Moses to Joshua. This is ordained of God. This is Moses saying, this isn't of me, this is of God. You do what Joshua says, but Joshua told them what Moses had already told them. Joshua didn't just go out and do his own thing. Joshua continued to proclaim the message in the word of God. He didn't elevate Joshua, he elevated God. And there arose not a prophet since Israel like unto Moses whom the Lord saw, who knew face to face. It's not wrong to look at Moses and say he was a great man. Clearly he was a great man. If God saw him and spoke to him face to face, he was a great man. Give honor to whom honor is due. God used him in a, in, a, in a marvelous way. But Moses never set out with the intention of being this great man. He set out with the intention of knowing God. And because he knew God, and because his heart was prepared, and because his mind was prepared, he was chosen. Joshua, because he was in the right place, with the right spirit, with the right motive, and the right heart was chosen. And I say this this morning. Every Christian should live a Christian life that when God has a need, he doesn't have to look far. What a shame that God's work has a need and there's no one in that body of believers that he can call on that's prepared to fill the need. Or there's no one that's willing. Or there's no one to do this task or that task. God didn't have to go outside of Israel to find Joshua. God didn't even have to go outside of the tabernacle to find Joshua. He was right there. Am I preparing myself to be called upon by God when there's a need? It's not, am I preparing myself to greatness? Our college students will go back to Bible college here over the next, starting this week and into the next week. Listen. Young people, you're, you're, not, you're not going to learn how to be great for God. You're not going to learn how to do some great thing for God. You can't do anything great for God. But God can do something great for himself through you if he yields himself. Amen. God help us to be a people that are not looking to elevate ourselves. But are just simply looking to prepare ourselves to worship, to serve, and to glorify our God. If we'll do that, I believe that one day we'll stand before God and God will say, you are a faithful servant.
And there is no true measure of greatness that can exceed being found faithful by God.